It's time once again for our broadcast, Good News and Better News, where we spend 22 minutes advancing the theory that life really does not suck. And now, here is our host, author, screenwriter, and podcastman, Jonathan Richard Kring. If. If it weren't for Christmas. If it weren't for Christmas, I'd be an atheist. Absolutely. Religion has always left me cold. You see, the insipid Christ that is presented, promoted, and advertised by the religious system is not only a stick figure, but he is an insult to the real Jesus who blessed this planet. Because, here, here's, here it is, the Christian church is so busy trying to prove that it's linked with Judaism, attempting to fulfill prophecies of men who've been dead for thousands of years. Because of that, it fails to recognize that the only true beauty on this earth that carries the, the, the message of a Father in heaven, a creator, a God, is Jesus the only time they even come close to letting Jesus be Jesus is Christmas. And then lots and lots and lots and lots of the, the churches, they, they still preach the crucifixion and the death of Christ. While surrounded by manger and angels. And listen carefully. Christmas to me is what makes God sensible. Christmas is what makes God wise. Christmas is when God takes the efforts of human beings who think they're really smart and he, he scoffs at them, leaving them holding their doctrines and theories in their cold, dying hands. Can we have fun today? I want you to go with me to take a look at Christmas, not by story, not by religion, not by your uh, pageant in your town, but by design. First, when we say that Mary and Joseph were a couple, I want to tell you that's just downright misleading. It is downright misleading. That was not the tradition of the day. People didn't fall in love. Boys reached the age of 13, were dubbed men. They took their place in the community, worked and built up a trade until they were ready to take a wife. Young girls, uh, barely in their teens, were paraded in front of these men, and a negotiation was made to more or less acquire these virgins as wives so they could bear children, cook, clean, and take care of the house. Tradition! Tradition! A girl of 14 years of age in Nazareth of Galilee had no power. Powerless. She was already betrothed to a man, one that she may or may not have even ever seen. And she was waiting for the day he would take her into his home and they would consummate their marriage shortly after their first kiss. 
<laughs> That's quick. Here is where the story changes, though. Where God initiates a rewrite. God looks down at this whole system that's going on, and he just says in his inimitable divine way, this sucks. You see, he doesn't check it out with Nazareth. He, do, he doesn't check things out with the Jews to make sure that he can make a change. He doesn't even check with Joseph and his family to, so they won't be offended. No, he just talks to a little girl through the angel Gabriel. And he tells this little girl that she's going to be impregnated by the Spirit and bear a son, and that the son would be the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. <laughs> you know, what, what's the right ending of that? Your son is going to be the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords. Right. Okay, I'm going to back away slowly. Stay away. I'm going to go home. God, see, God found the powerless. And he empowered her. The least powerful person in this story is Mary of Nazareth. But she was given the most power by God. I'm going to say that again. The least powerful person in this story is Mary of Nazareth, but she was given the most power by God. Just wrap your mind around that if you have trouble believing in God or if you wonder what God's really like. Every other character in the nativity tale is more prominent, more wealthy, more involved, and certainly, what well, shall we say, more powerful. Let, yet, I want to tell you right now, all of them are made subject are put in a lower rank of the cast of characters to Mary of Nazareth, who they would have deemed meaningless, powerless. Stop and just think about that. A village of believers, Nazareth, with a rabbi who studies the Holy Scrolls. They were forced to either accept or deny that a little girl from their ranks got pregnant Spiritually. Hello! Can imagine the doubts that will be ex being expressed over those cups of coffee. What would you think if you were a Nazarene? And let us understand that this is not a love story. Mary and Joseph have not been dating. You can't cut Mary some slack because, oh, they got all worked up one night and Joseph... Well, he got what he wanted. <laughs> Here was the tradition. Tradition. I promise not to do that again. It's not often you get to do something from Fiddler on the Roof, which nobody under the age of 50 knows what that truly is. What was required of Joseph in his manhood at this point when you find out that your betrothed has actually sprouted a kid. His religion and his social structure was for him to send her away to another land to punish her where she would never be seen again because she had dared to become pregnant on his watch. That's what he was supposed to do. 
And I know we want to believe that Joseph is in love with Mary, but it does not say that. It does not connote that. And the history does not bear that out. It was not the custom for love to have anything to do with marriage, procreation, and family. Therefore, a powerless Joseph who was under pressure by his family, his community, and his religion to follow the traditions stepped away from that threat. He stepped away from the threat. And he turned to them and insisted that an angel told him to join Mary in her solitary mission. <laughs> it's good stuff, isn't it? What I've told you so far is completely impossible, right? Unless you happen to land on the right pair of human beings. I mean, this story doesn't work just because you bring in the understudies. You know, if you bring in two other people and say, oh, I'm sorry, Mary and Joseph have a cold today. You step in and be the couple that bears the Messiah. It's not going to work. This is too particularly interesting human beings. Mary was tired of just being a girl, and Joseph was probably sick of being a carpenter. They yearned for personal purpose and adventure. You will never find the heart of God if you just walk around as part of the masses or attending mass for that matter. God found the powerless Mary. He empowered her. God found a powerless Joseph who was subject to his community empowered him become part of this amazing process. Can we call it an amazing process? It is, you know. But then it it seems like the whole sheet hits the fan. Because Caesar the Caesar decides he's going to tax the world. And therefore, Mary and Joseph were tossed back into the heap of the poverty-stricken Jewish state to go to Bethlehem and give all their sustenance to some overwrought, over-egotistical emperor in Rome as they joined their brothers and sisters singing, If I would it's Sorry, I'm working the whole... The whole song list on Fiddler on the Roof. Once again, it seems that power has been removed from God and placed back into the hands of the authority. Caesar, who, by the way, thought he was God. Matter of fact, arriving in Bethlehem, <laughs> things get worse. That's when that always happens when we say something like, well, things couldn't get any worse. Well, at least that's over. Because when they get to Bethlehem, Mary's water breaks. She goes into labor, and there's no place for them to go. You know the story, right? Got no room in the inn. Got great beds, though, if you're ever through, passing through again. Now, keep in mind, this is not what Mary and Joseph thought God meant by birthing the king of kings. In their peasant minds, they probably felt... They were going to be elevated to some, to some type of royalty 
which might include castles and servants. Can't blame them, right? Instead, instead, they find themselves in a stinky barn, feeling once again powerless, powerless. At this point, if you were Mary and Joseph, you're thinking, what the fudge-go-round cookies is going on here? Now, you probably didn't say this because you're a good Jewish boy and girl, but you gotta be thinking it. Then again, they were so busy at this point trying to get a baby out of Mary that they probably forgot themselves and went back to being just people working together. Sometimes we forget that the only way we work together is when we're being torn apart. Isn't that interesting? When everything is great, everybody gets their own personality and their own attitude. I don't need to, I don't need you. But things start falling apart and we start pulling together. Oh, it's not something we want to do, but it often happens. Meanwhile, your name is Sam the Shepherd. I'm not talking about the actor and writer Sam Shepherd. No, Sam the Shepherd. May I explain to you that being a shepherd in that portion of the world was not a great job. Minimum wage. Matter of fact, when they described David in the Bible, they, they said that he was, he was just a little shepherd boy. <laughs> Nothing at all. Nothing worth talking about. Just a little shepherd boy. It was not a job given to the most intelligent. Not an occupation for the up and coming. No, all you had to do was sit there and make sure that nothing ate the sheep like a wolf. It did require that you stay awake, which I'm sure Sam the Shepherd failed to do on occasion. You see, Sam the Shepherd was an immigrant. He got stuck in this job that nobody else wanted. He was a migrant sheep watcher, looked down on by the other people in town because of his lack of ability and lack of status. He was powerless to this powerless individual God sent a host of angels there was no reason for it except for God to mock to make fun of a religious system which had become so greedy selfish and uncaring of the people that they resembled the Roman captors Sam the shepherd and his friends Ben and Jerry not the ice cream brothers, by the way, that they were visited by angels. They never expected to be visited by angels. It's not like they were sitting out there. You know, you know Ben, Jerry, said Sam, I, I just got an inkling that this is the night that angels are going to come. No, nothing like that. Their lives were so down and out, they thought that their next visit would be from leprosy. But once again, God establishing his sense of humor, his means of justice, and his complete disdain for superiority 
chose shepherds who were powerless. They abandoned their powerless sheep to go see a powerless couple in a powerless manger, birthing what certainly appeared to be a powerless child, which angels claimed was all-powerful. There's something wrong in this story here. The plot's not developing correctly. Oh, and I almost forgot. Forgive me. Many, many, many miles away, there were stargazers, astrologers. We are led to believe that these are people of means because they later show up with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Knowing the nature of human beings, I would imagine there was more incense than gold, but that's just my guess. These people were dubbed wise. They were used to having things brought to them. Their servants brought them dates and wine. Their women brought their bodies. Their families brought accolades. Their enemies brought them gifts to keep them from attacking them. But it was this damn star that was bothering them. It was, ooh, it was a big one. It's a big one. For some reason or another, these wise people believed it was located somehow over, over one particular area of the world. I don't know quite why they felt that. After all, it's in the sky. But for some reason, they sensed that the star had beamed down on a particular location, one which was far from them to the west. Go west, young wise men. So they got off their asses. Or was it onto their asses? One or the other. And they followed the star. Once again, the powerful coming to that which seemed powerless to acknowledge that God is not impressed. God is not impressed with our wheeling and dealing and lifting up one another above this one over there and that one over there and this is the, this, 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 this is the one. You got it. And when they came, these wise men, they worshipped. See, religion sucks because religion believes that we are in a hunt for God. We're studying God. Religion insists that we worship God. Religion leads its followers to believe that gold sanctuaries, and even for some of these ministers, supersonic jets, supersonic jets need to be purchased for the work of God to be authorized, legitimized, and given its true worth. After all, how could God drive around in a Saturn But God began his work. Christmas, you know. That story that keeps me from being an atheist. He began his work with humans on a Christmas night in a barn with animals, a bucket of water, some straw, a bloody vagina, and two frightened kids who felt powerless. This is why Christmas is so important. It is the only time that we actually understand that God is about love and God is about giving power, choice, and purpose 
to those we have decided are meaningless or, most important, we've decided they're powerless. What, would, what should you and I do at Christmas? How can we become the Virgin Mary, the bewildered Joseph, and Sam the shepherd? Here's the plan. Are you ready? I'm going to do it quick. Follow me along. Number one, find the light. You'll recognize it because it's a thing that's not dark. You understand? You don't have to be picky. You don't have to say, well, I don't know whether this beam of light is exactly according to my belief system. I don't care. If the Muslims come up with a beam of light, move towards it. If the Buddhists come up with a beam of light, beam of light move towards it. If the Ruskies decide to spread some light, move towards it. Collude with the light. Number two, get thrilled in your heart. Rejoicing is associated with Christmas because rejoicing is associated with Jesus and Jesus is associated with human beings because he came to be one. Number three, find the parts you can do. I can get pregnant. I can support the pregnancy. I can come and to celebrate the baby that came forth from it. I can find a place to work myself into the show. Number four, once you find what you can do, then do it. Don't take it into committee. Don't discuss it. Don't bring up that infernal statement. I think we better put this off till next week. You don't have to wait for an angel to move your ass. Do what you can do and do it quickly. Number five, get your results. Would you look at that? A baby in a manger. And some angel told me, He's rather important, so I'm going to go and check it out. Look, there he is. He looks powerless, but I was told not. Hmm. I think I'll trust the angel. After you get your results, then find the next light. There's always one on the horizon. There's always one hanging in the sky, pointing down to something of true value. And finally, number seven... Repeat the process. Find the light. Get thrilled in your heart. Find the parts you can do. Do it. Get your results. Find the next light and repeat the process. You are not powerless. It is God that gives us power, not humans. Not appreciation. Not praise. God empowers. That's why Christmas is so important. So the good news is, if you're feeling down and out, get ready. You just might be touched by the Spirit and get pregnant with a new idea. And the better news is, if you don't give up on the new idea, you will birth an answer, maybe one that can change the whole world. That's it for today. Stay tuned next week when we will gather once again and find ways to put the pin back in the grenade. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media and at goodnewsandbetternews.com.